The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Hello, one, and hello, all. It is Wednesday, August the 18th, episode number 88 of our fantasy basketball offseason. This is Fantasy NBA Today, and I am your host, Dan Bespris. This show is presented by our good buddies at HoopBall, hoop-ball.com, the website at HoopBallFantasy on Twitter, HoopBallFantasy. If you have a HoopBall Fantasy, probably consult a professional uh psychiatrist uh i have a hoop ball fantasy i hope you do as well i am at dan bespris on twitter d-a-n-b-e-s-b-r-i-s i'm assuming and i haven't bothered to look at the numbers because who's got time for such a thing that this is the time of year where folks start to trickle back into the mix which is funny because we kind of didn't have the real off season and i feel like People created the offseason that they wanted, knowing that it was going to be a very short one. It wasn't like the bubble, where you could argue that there was basically an offseason from April to November for fantasy players. This one was kind of the opposite of that, where instead of the argument being either there was the world's longest offseason or the world's shortest offseason, this one was very much a short offseason, and everyone kind of knew going into it that it was going to be short and weird. And I think a lot of people tuned out like the second the playoffs started, which is actually a little bit unusual. I, I've watched the numbers on this podcast over the years. Not that you guys care or anything, but whatever. We're here now. You're stuck with me, so you get to deal with it. And generally, at starting at about the All-Star break, there's this very small but steady trickle of people who's Presumably their leagues finish up or they fall out of contention. I hope that's not the case because I like to think we're mostly winning, folks that are using the information from this podcast. And then the regular season ends, and then there's a much more rapid but still steady drop-off until you get to like the conference finals, and then it's just real quiet with a little baby bump for free agency most of the time, but then it goes quiet again for like another month and a half after that. Because normally free agency is early July in a season that doesn't start until October. You're still three months away from actual basketball. People are not ready to be fully tuned back in. This time around, because the offseason was so stinking short, free agency just happened two weeks ago, and we're now two months from the offseason. There really isn't that opportunity to kind of dive back into relative basketball nothingness. It went free agency straight into summer league, Summer League wrapping up now, but before you know it, we're going to be talking about training camp in like a month. But what I think happened, and again, this is based solely on fantasy basketball podcast listenership numbers and patterns, is that when the regular season ended, people were just done. They just decided, this is it. I'm not even going to continue to trickle. Whoever, the, you know, the diehards, you guys are with us from May 17th until now. But I'm also thinking this is probably when you start to see some folks coming back in. So, very long-winded, that's kind of my nature, way of saying, welcome back. And I'm going to say that pretty much every podcast from now until the end of time. 
What I'm also going to say from now until not the end of time, but uh, until football starts, is that my bookie is giving away $25, not promotional bucks, real cold hard cash. And if you use crypto, which I don't even pretend to know much about other than knowing I have an account and I use it for uh, online betting deposits and withdrawals, it's very fast. And the minimum you can deposit is 20 bucks, and the minimum you, you can withdraw, I think, is, is 50 So here's how you kind of game the system a little bit. I'll just walk you through it. Open up a new account if you don't have one already. If you do have one already and you have money in your account, awesome. You are eliminating the middle steps of this operation. If you don't have an account at MyBookie, go to mybookie.ag, open an account using promo code HOOPBALL. It's on the third page of sign-up. It's really important because then they'll know hey, how did this person find out about our website? Oh, they must have heard it on Dan's podcast. That's on the third page of sign-up again, promo code HOOPBALL, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L, all one word, no hyphen in that promo code. And make your initial deposit of like 40 bucks or something like that. It's really easy, really straightforward because then you bet 25 of that on this free money play that's coming up at the beginning of September, the NFL season opener, which... The bet, by the way, is uh, if any team scores, meaning unless it ends in a 0-0 overtime tie, your bet will hit, which I believe is 100% successful to this point. I don't know. If the game gets canceled, does, it get, does the bet get forfeited? I, I, don't, I don't actually know. Regardless, you have like a 99.9% .9 chance of winning this wager for $25. So if the minimum withdrawal is 50 just go in there put 40 bucks in win 25 and pull out 50 of your 65 or something like that like it's all very straightforward and if you happen to enjoy yourself you can also wait around because they usually do odds boost for college football as well sometimes they do it for the nba they might even do more odds boost for the nfl which is Honestly, when I get really busy, that's the only stuff I do on these websites is the free things. Oh, here's 25 bucks on this website. Here's 30 bucks. Here's an easy bet on some other online. Like if you have a number of online books, they're constantly trying to win your favor. And this is $25 for doing nothing at all. So please go to my book. If you already have an account, go get your $25 bet. And if you don't, again, sign up with promo code HoopBall and make that wager right now. Today's kind of a fun and important day for us here on Fantasy NBA Today because it begins what's effectively a brand new segment for us, some four and change-ish, I think, years into doing this pod. When the hell did we start this thing? I honestly don't even remember anymore. Uh, we've been doing it for a really long time, and I've never, up until now, gone deep into the buckets. The buckets. Today's show is largely going to be about methodology, which I know is not the most interesting or helpful part of all of this, but I do think that it's really important that you guys understand kind of where I'm coming from and how I put together these lists, this, this bucket. Because to call it a list actually isn't entirely fair. It's, it's both more and less than that. It's less than a list because I'm not going to give you, like, a top 100. Because to me, a lot of what you're doing on draft day is hunting value. 
And a lot of times there are a number of guys that are going to be that value. And on top of that, a lot of the time, a lot of those guys are going to have almost the exact same number. I talked about this on a show, I believe, last week, where I basically took an example from Basketball Monsters' end-of-season rankings. And I was like, look, here's the thing. Like, these two guys, ranked 40 and 41, they have the same value. So it's not so much about the exact list and how players are going to finish the season as much as it is, for me, the buckets, is about categorizing guys based on value. How can I get the most guys that beat their number by the biggest amount beating their number? It sounds very almost remedial when you say it out loud, but it is the key to winning your draft, which is getting the biggest profits all together. I wanted to do the, uh, what is that? All, to, all together now. Or, uh, oh, jeez, I'm going to mess up that joke. Um, it's, it's not about getting the one massive hit. It's about getting the most, the largest number of the guys that you are hunting for. How do I maximize the number of guys I set out to get from the outset? And again, it sounds very simple, but it's really game theory in addition to rank lists. It's understanding where other guys are likely to go. It's understanding what other people in your league are going to be doing. It's understanding what guy is most likely to make it back to you, and that dictates the order in which you draft guys. It's not necessarily you, you draft in the order that you have these guys on your rank sheet. It's not that simple. 41 and 42 are both available for you to draft at pick 41, so you have pick 41, but on your rank list, they're, again, they're 41 and 42 at the end of the season, but if you think player 42 is less likely to make it back to you, you probably draft that guy before you draft player 41. And that's not a great example because that puts you kind of right in the middle of a round, so you're not going to see another pick for like 12, 13, 14, something like that. So, uh, you know, just don't don't use the 41-42 example at the, as the exact numbers I'm referring to. It's really about figuring out who's going to get back to you in a draft and drafting based on heavily on that and that's to me is why using buckets makes the whole process so much simpler if you just went exclusively on your final numerical rank chart for your players you miss maybe not the biggest because the biggest is still how you have guys finishing at the end of the year whether it's buckets or list whatever that's still the biggest piece of the puzzle. The, the second biggest piece of the puzzle is the game theory part. Who's going to get back to me? How do I put this draft together in a way that maximizes my profit? So that's why I like buckets from more of a drafting game theory standpoint. I find it much easier 
to look at groups of guys and then compare those groups to ADPs. Who in this group is going to go to other people at the front end? Who in this group is likely to go towards other people at the back end? And, and it helps keep things straight when names are kind of bouncing around. Things are going willy-nilly. If there's a run on players on your list, you can, I think, sort the whole thing out more quickly. If you make your entire personal list and then take the time in the draft room to reorganize all the players in the order of your list, that's probably still the best way to do it. However, a lot of these ways are extraordinarily time-consuming in a way that I like to think we can beat everyone in a way that's not... I don't, I don't want to call it tedious, but it, like you can win this easier. Work smarter, not harder, is my adage in life. When I worked in Visalia for the minor league baseball team, my buddy and I put up a picture behind us. It was like early internet meme days. It was like 2007. I guess there was some stuff for six or seven years prior to that. Uh, it was a picture of roadkill on a highway with the lane markers painted over the roadkill. So just right there in the middle of the road. And the, the caption was the winner of the Not My Job competition, which... For us, was always like, okay, like, don't do other... If someone tries to get you to do someone else's work, you make sure that they're actually doing their stuff. But in my mind, it also meant, like, don't do things the hard way. Do things the easy way. That's the way we win fantasy. We simplify here on Fantasy NBA Today, and Buckets is part of that phenomenon, the simplification of fantasy basketball. So the next part of bucket theory, whatever you want to call it, methodology, maybe is the, the more accurate way of describing it. The next part of bucket methodology is how do we delineate where the buckets begin and end? Well, I'm glad you asked. Largely because you had no choice but to ask. They begin and end wherever the hell I want them to. There are no forced starting or ending points in these buckets. They are amoeboid. They change shape and size every year based on how I feel guys are going to get clumped on any given season. I don't distinctly remember because every every season right now feels like it was 9,000 years ago. Uh, <laughs> the, the magic of this very weird series of NBA seasons. Um, but if I go to the Yahoo uh, end-of-season comparison stuff that we did back in, I think it was early June or late May, if we go to some of those comparison numbers and we can see kind of what the pre-ranks were on guys, um, and just look at some of the first-round names, like James Harden, Anthony Davis, Steph Curry, these were all guys that were up in that first bucket some of it comes down to what you think other people are going to be doing, but largely the buckets should be built based on how you're going to be drafting these guys. So Luca was not in my first bucket, 9-cat Roto. Uh, Giannis was not in my first bucket, 9-cat Roto. It was basically Harden, AD, Cat, and Steph. 
think that was the the top four. And then, but here's why this is important. Looking back at this last season, why this sort of falls in with the methodology stuff. That's my that was my first bucket, and certainly Cat's injury took him out of the top part of the equation. Uh, Luca was never someone I was going to have in that group. Harden was hurt a lot. AD was hurt a lot. Um, Steph was the guy in that group that ended up actually hitting the 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 top bucket markings. And then there were... Uh, Jokic was obviously in there as well. Dame ended up in, in kind of a top-most bucket. Jokic was kind of all by himself. But again, that's not entirely... Not super relevant, actually, how this all ended up. What's important is how we started and the reasons we got to those points. So James Harden was someone that was in that first bucket just because we've sort of always known what he's capable of, and he's been the number one guy for however many years. And there was the stuff hanging over him with Houston, but I don't think most of us thought he was going to Brooklyn, even though there were a lot of rumors about it. And had he actually stayed healthy in Brooklyn, he wouldn't have been far all that far off the pace. So that one was... You know, a little bit dicey, but he felt relatively safe. The Anthony Davis one was sort of towards the back end of that upper bucket because we figured he was going to take a hit with the short offseason. He ended up being much more hurt than expected. Cat probably would have been up there or pretty damn close. Also spent a bunch of time on the shelf. But we came up with this bucket because it was basically the guys that had been in that first seat before in the past. And the red flags were not so huge that we were forced to take them out of that bucket. What does that do when you compare it to the likely draft order that guys are going to be taking? The reason it's important to have these buckets lined up and probably to consider placing some names like just outside a bucket so that you know you're not drafting those guys, but this is, again, kind of getting into like day-of-game strategy... You know Luka and Giannis are going in that top six. You just don't know where. But if they go at if if your first if you have the fifth pick and your top four, your first bucket all gets evaporated, you go to bucket number two. You don't go to the guy that was ranked in the top six that you didn't have in your top bucket, but is still there at five. That's not good draft strategy. We're trying to get wins here, and just because one guy dropped, it doesn't mean they're necessarily a win. It may mean that they're finally falling back to where they should have been drafted in the first place, not their Yahoo ADP or whatever you're working off of. So then if we looked at this last year and kind of looked at bucket two, bucket two I thought was pretty clearly Dame and Jokic. They were basically always going 7-8 or 8-7. Almost everywhere. Like, very rarely, once in a blue moon, you saw Giannis fall a little bit farther. If you're in a league where everybody was not, everybody was focused on free throw shooting, then you might see Giannis fall. You pretty much never saw Luka fall, because everybody loves Luka. Even though his free throw shooting is also kind of whack. But Jokic and Dame, they went 7-8 in everything. Every single draft. That was bucket number two. And that was a pretty easy one, because if you got to, like, if one of those guys was the one there at, at five, you take them. You're not worried about what their ADP was anymore. You're worried about the fact that bucket one for you just got used up, so you had to go to the next one. And here's where the bucket stuff is actually 
it, it's it's the double-edged sword, the two-sided razor on this one. On the one side, it does make this situation extraordinarily easy. You have both of those guys in your queue, and if your time ran out, you're not upset that you got either of them. But now you're going to spend 60 to 90 seconds hemming and hawing about which guy you wanted because you never bothered to put them in one order or the other. As it turns out, Jokic ended up outperforming Dame. I think most people probably had Dame outperforming Jokic this year, but who cares? You nailed that bucket. That's the important part. If you had Jokic, yeah, you ended up in better position. But if you had Dame, you had a really good year out of the guy you probably drafted seventh who beat his mark. It's really hard to beat your ADP when you get drafted inside the top 10. There just aren't that many places you can go that are in the right direction. Very few. Nine, actually. So then we get to bucket three from this last year, and that's where things start to get pretty cloudy. But without getting, because honest to goodness, I don't remember the exact players I had in bucket three. I'm pretty sure Kawhi was in there. Tatum was in there. I think Trey was probably in there, and he uh, certainly had a clunker of a season. Uh, But that's actually not important for our discussion today or kind of for our discussion at all. Um... Because it actually doesn't matter what we did this last year. The point of this part of today's show was to illustrate that buckets are whatever we make them. Bucket one was four players. Bucket two was two. Bucket three was probably like four or five guys. Kawhi, Tatum, Trey. I got talked into Booker. I feel dumb about that one. Not a guy that I ever wanted to go that upper thing with, and then I walked right into it. Um, Beal was probably in there until the Westbrook trade happened, and then I don't. I really don't remember where I ended up putting Beal, but he had a pretty solid year also. Um, I probably had Paul George somewhere in there because I was kind of high on him and he ended up not hitting his marks. But the point is, bucket three was like five or six guys. And it goes on like this. I think you guys get the general idea. The buckets are not set in stone. The buckets are about who I, we believe will fall into each grouping of final ranks. Whether we get them right or wrong, I mean, we want to get them right, but... It's kind of the same phenomenon if you had a rank list. And the buckets are smaller at the top end than they are as you work your way through the board, largely because guys at the top are separated by more between each player than guys in the 50s. And the guys in the 50s are separated by more than guys in the 90s and things of that nature. By the time, by the way, you get towards the later parts of this bucket, then the players are coming from all over the map, And they're sort of like the, who do I draft between 50 and 80 bucket? Who do I draft between 80 and 110 bucket? So the buckets get quite sizable as we move through this thing. And then there's, like, we could even come up with fun titles for them. I've never done that before in the past because I've always just sort of known instinctively what they represent in my mind. And I've been able to explain that on the podcast mostly by looking at ADPs and by telling you if what these guys are above or below on my notes there. Um, 
But this year, because I think we're going to put these buckets together, we might as well just come up with some names for them. So there's like bucket one, which is generally going to be upper tier first round guys. Bucket two, this last year was like middle first round. Bucket three was end of first round into the early second round. And it goes on like this. Simplify. Simplify. Methodology on buckets does kind of have one final piece that we can't fully implement right now, and that is public perception. Because I don't know the public perception on guys. And, I, and your, your follow-up question to me saying that out loud is absolutely the right one. What you should be thinking as I say it is, what does it matter, Dan? Put your buckets together, look at the public perception later, and then you can make your call on game theory. For me, in my mind, I find it much easier to know the public perception ahead of time when I finalize my buckets because I can then kind of move bodies around even within the individual buckets based on where a guy is actually going. I might, for my own well-being... Let's go back to that 40 and 41. Or was it 41 and 42? I don't remember what we were talking about earlier in the show. It was 40 and 41 or two players that are right next to one another in the early 40s. That was our running example. Uh, you don't always draft 41 before 42 because a big piece of the puzzle is which one of those guys is most likely to get back to you if you're trying to get both of them on your fantasy team. Public perception is the answer to that question. If the guys on our list are, are Dan Ranks, 41 and 42, are on, uh, by ADP, let's say my player 41, his ADP is, is uh, 50, and my player 42 has an ADP of 42. So odds are, even though I have 41 ahead of 42, most everybody else has 41 behind 42 in their lists. Because, again, the ADP was, for everybody, 50. For me, 41. And then the second guy was 42 for all of us. ADP was 42. My rank was 42. I think that one was totally right. This is why you don't just take my player 41 before my player 42. You take 42 first in that instance, because there's, I don't know, 50-50 shot, player 41 gets back to you, and you end up with both 41 and 42 instead of the alternative, which is you take my player 41, 42, no way he gets back to you, and then maybe you're left with player like, I don't know who gets back to you, 49, 53 from our own bucket. Wouldn't you rather have 41 and 42 as opposed to 41 and 49? You would, and you have a better chance of doing that by using public perception. So in those instances, I might not actually put player 41 in the same bucket as player 42. I might put player 41 as like the beginning of the next bucket. Or I might put them in that bucket with 42, or but some sort of footnote on it, like, hey, this is a guy who has a higher likelihood of falling. So this is why it's really hard to make those buckets right now, but we're going to do it, 
because there's going to be adjustments later as we learn public perception and move our actual draft order strategy around. You don't just go in the order of something numbered. You use the numbered order or the buckets or whatever formula you're working with, and you buttress that with ADP and effectively game theory because you're working on trying to build the most value possible, which isn't always just take the highest ranked guy from your own list. It's not because as we just outlined, in one case, you take player 42 first, you have a 50-50 shot of getting player 41 later. If you take player 41 first, you have a 0% chance of getting player 42 later. So you're looking at, in that instance, your two choices are, there's a 50-50 shot, you get both 41 and 42 and 1, and a 50-50 shot that you get 42 and like 49. Let's say that's the guy that comes back to you either way. 49 is the other one. And in the other one, you have a 100% chance of getting 41 and 49. You have the better... So it's a little bit of like a uh, of an integral type problem, the area under the curve kind of thing. You have a bigger area under your value curve by taking the, sh- the 50-50 shot at getting 42 and 49... Or excuse me, by taking the 50-50 shot, that's either 42 and 41 or 42 and 49, as opposed to the 100% shot of getting 41 and 49, but no chance of getting 42 in that instance. And I know that we're getting deep into the game theory weeds, and to refer to it as like an area under the curve kind of thing might have just made it more complicated for many of you, but it's also, to me, it's actually kind of, it's easier to visualize when you're like, look, uh, in one of these instances, there's a 50% chance that I get a much better outcome and a 50% chance that I get basically the same outcome because, look, 41 and 42 are pretty much the same. We've got them in the same bucket. 49 might be in the next bucket down. And in the other one, 100% chance that you get 41 and 49. You can just add the numbers together for all I care. It's not correct math, but 41 and 42 together is 83. 42 and 49 together is 91. The average of 83 and 91 is 87. Let's just say that you average 87 total draft values in the way that we ended up going. Or if you take the 100% option, 41 and 49, you end up at 90. So the one that gets you to 87 is better. And that number just sort of gets bigger and bigger as you work your way through the draft. Every two or three you know, value spots you jump the better your team performs. So anyway, that's bucket methodology on today's show. It's a really dry episode of Fantasy NBA Today. Thank you guys for sticking with me on this. I want you guys to know how we're going to be building this stuff. Tomorrow, we will begin placing players in buckets. And you kind of do it by just going through each team and sizing them up. Although the top buckets you could probably do by just looking at the first two rounds from you know, the last couple of seasons of fantasy basketball, but like there's there's a little bit more to it than that when it it all rolls together. I am Dan Baspers. This was your Wednesday edition. I know if you guys made it through this one without a headache, you win the day tomorrow. Players, talking real players. Have a great one, everybody. We'll talk to you then.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.